Welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Jim Hemphill. I write about filmmaking craft for IndieWire. My guest today is John Orloff, the writer of the Apple TV Plus series, Masters of the Air. The show reunites Orloff with his band of brothers producers, Gary Getzman, Tom Hanks, and Steven Spielberg, who have teamed up to create another historically detailed and emotionally immersive World War II tale. Orloff is a real master when it comes to conveying heightened emotional states on screen. I can't think of any other combat film or TV show that gives such a powerful visceral sense of the terror experienced by men at war, or that communicates the depths of their heroism and its costs so poignantly. It was great to have him on the show to talk about his rigorous approach to research and how that manifests itself as drama. Here's our conversation. So I know you've been working on this thing for you know, at least 10 years now, it seems like. Um, take me back to the origins of it. I mean, does this start with the book? Does it start, you know, did you discover the book? Did, uh, you know, does Hanks come to you with it or the producers? You know, how does this all get going? Hanks comes to me. But before that, as I understand it, Steven Spielberg read the book. And uh, like all of us, Tom and Steven and Gary and most of the guys on the show were just total World War II nuts and we read stuff for pleasure. And Stephen read Masters of the Air and when he read the section about uh, Buck Clevin, Bucky Egan, and Robert Rosenthal, he called up Tom and said, you know, I think that that could be the next one. And um, then I got a phone call from Tom saying, hey, you want to do another one? And uh, I said, yes, of course. Um, I hadn't read the book. Um, and I read the book uh, and immediately discovered we had a problem, uh, which is the book is fantastic and wonderful, but it's an overview of the entire air war. It's not like Band of Brothers, which was a very specific book about a specific unit told from their perspective. This is the complete opposite. Um, and so the problem was there was only a couple of chapters about the men that Tom and Stephen wanted to make the show about. So uh, my first task was trying to figure out what exactly these guys did for the whole war not just for the little bits that were in the book. Uh, so my first task was a year of research, basically, because no biographies had been written about these guys up to that point. Okay, so there's no biographies. So what does that research consist of? What are your sources? Who are you talking to? Where do you even get started with something like this? Well, luckily, the Air Force took copious records, made huge amount of paperwork because it was a it was sort of a math war and they were constantly trying to figure out what was going right what was going wrong because the losses were so steep so high so early and so everything was recorded in after mission reports so the paper trail of, of the actual events was amazing then i found uh, memoirs of unpublished um, like the diary of the of one of the intelligence officers, his diary while he was there. So that gave me kind of a day by day what was going on in the group. 
Uh, and then just like Yank Magazine had articles about them or uh, I couldn't interview them because they were dead, the, the, the main characters. So that was a problem. I could interview men who had similar experiences, but that can only give you a flavor. I needed to know actually what these specific guys did when. Uh, and that took a lot of time, a lot of time. I had dozens of sources. And how do you begin finding a dramatic shape for all of that? That is the trick, isn't it? Um, one of the things um, I discovered early on was there was this one character who's a navigator named Harry Crosby. And um, Crosby is the only guy who's there the whole time. He's like a foundation of the 100th at that base. He manages to be there the whole time. And once I realized that, I had a person who could tie all these characters together. Uh, and, and that was the key for me, figuring out how, how to do the show, was figuring out Harry Crosby. And, and once I knew Harry Crosby, then everybody, it's how they all connected into Harry Crosby's life. Okay, but you've still got something like, I don't know how many speaking parts there are in this thing, but it, it, I would estimate having watched it somewhere in the hundred. 300. Okay. Yeah, that's what I... 300. <laughs> so you've got... And believe it or not, I've kept track of most of their names. <laughs> so just in terms of organizing and structuring this material, I mean, how do you... Again, it kind of goes back to that question of finding a shape for it. But I mean, are you the kind of writer? Do you use what's your what's your system? I guess do you have note cards? Do you have just no, no? I I wrote I wrote a two hundred and fifty page Bible with five hundred footnotes with forty different sources, so that I could when I went back into the script modes and I needed to know. Wait a minute, how did that battle go? Where did I where did I know that that battle happened or where did I learn that Buck did this or Bucky did that? Where does that beat come from? Uh, so once I laid it out, I, I basically laid it out chronologically in, in, in this Bible. You know, this is what the hundredth went through at this period, this period, this period, this period. And there became very natural act breaks. I think the show is structured in three acts. I think the show is really a, a nine-hour movie. I know everybody says that now. It's very hip to say that. Um, we always approached it that way. This, this is a different thing than Band of Brothers. Band of Brothers is, in some ways, 10 movies. Um, they're very connected, but they're also very individual, those episodes. This is not one of my first decisions was, and, and we didn't end up honing to it. This was a decision 10 years ago. We had four main characters, Buck Clevin, Bucky Egan, Robert Rosenthal, and Harry Crosby. And if one of them were not in a scene, we did not see the scene. Because the idea was I knew how many people were gonna go in and out of this show. I knew by definition of what we were trying to do there would be an enormous amount of people. On an Air Force, uh, on, a, on a base like this, there's 3,000 guys. The, 
the, just the flight crew, you have 36 planes. Later in the war, they have 40 some odd planes, 10 guys to a plane. So it's 350 to 400 guys are our main group as compared to Band of Brothers where it's 150 guys, right? And then obviously we pared it down to just a couple of squadrons and main characters. And similarly here, we pare it down to very specific air crews that we follow. But it's, it was originally, and, and, and still to it, it, it is to some degree with some exceptions, it's about these four guys and, and it all centers around these four guys. And as long as I kept to that, I sort of took the approach of, it doesn't matter if you remember who that other guy is. Here's another guy who just came in. Oh, there's another guy. Doesn't matter. What matters is how that guy relates to one of my four main guys. That's what's important. And I'm curious, you know, in terms of uh, other war movies, like, you know, it seems to me like these, this and Band of Brothers, they're not so much drawn from other war films as just, again, the historical detail and research and things like that. But I also know that you're a cinephile and you know a lot about movies. What are some of the war movies? I, I guess here's my question for you is what do you think war, the war movies that get it right? What do they get right and what are the ones that do it wrong get wrong? And what do you see as the pitfalls that you have to avoid when you're doing something like this? Well, the, the biggest pitfall is making crap up that is egregious you know you, you have to you have to massage things you know it is not a reenactment you know it is a drama so 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 i, I would say that's where the I, I don't want to sound pretentious but that's where the the art comes in you know how you figure how do you take this real event and maybe compress time or we, we never actually try to compress characters. We, we make that as a rule. We do not, if, if there's a person, 99% of the time there was a real person named that and that was their real life. Um, but we do have to compress time and, and sometimes we have to cheat a, a beat and, and milk it a little more, a little less. Um, but we do that very, very sparingly, you know. Part of it is choosing the right story. I mean, that's really half the battle, and, and that is the genius of Tom and Steven. I mean, the real genius. You know, um, talking about band for a second, um, when, when we made band, I wrote a couple of episodes, and, and Day of Days is, is the second episode. And it didn't have to be that. It, it, that was my choice to say, okay, we're gonna follow Dick Winters, just that's the episode. Dick Winters for 24 hours. Didn't have to be that. Everybody got to write their own scripts and do their own version of whatever their, their time period was. And my script was pretty lean. It was pretty like this happens, this happens, and this happens. A and the reason why was, if you can't make a man dropping into Nazi-occupied Germany in the middle of the night landing with nothing but a buck knife. And by the end of the day, he's marched five miles and captured four 105 millimeter artillery guns firing on Utah Beach. If you can't make that dramatic without making shit up, then you're not very good at your job. And so the point being, I didn't make up that, you know, that, 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 I, 
Stephen and Tom found that story, you know, and, and they are wise enough to say, let's not get in the way of the story. You know, let's just do it right. And, and I think with Masters, we had the same situation. You know, the, these four men were really exceptional in a, a group of exceptional men in a, in a war of exceptional men. These guys, their story is interesting enough without having to make crap up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you talk about it as being sort of essentially one nine-hour movie with three acts, um, how are you writing these episodes? I mean, do you write one episode at a time? Do you write one 1,100-page <laughs> script that you break out? How, what's that process? This was a, this was a, this was a process. Um, it, it started at HBO 10 years ago. And I was originally uh, just supposed to write a, 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 an episode or two. Uh, but after Tom read the Bible, which was pretty specific, like I said, I mean, really granular. And it was granular because I knew ahead of time what we would need coming up. Having made Band and heard the stories about the Pacific, I was trying to create a Bible that would anticipate problems. So it was filled with a lot of information. So once he said, okay, why don't you write the the first script? After we talked about the Bible, wrote the first script, gave it to him. And Tom said, you know, this is really great, John. I I don't think we should send it to HBO. I think we need to send them the first three. Because the first three, excuse me, which would be the first act, in my opinion, of the show. It's the third episode where you really understand what this show is about. And so we had the luxury of HBO saying, yeah, we don't need to see anything. You know, just fine, write your first three. So I wrote the first three, sent it in. Tom loved them. HBO loved them, and Tom then said something that is, you know, kind of amazing. He's like, well, nobody else can write this. You might as well just keep on writing. Um, And so I kept on writing. Um, So I wrote the first seven episodes uh, before we were uh, not greenlit (laughs) um, at HBO. Uh, And then thankfully... Apple just, you know, was like a gift from heaven came in and said, uh, yes, let's do this. Um, So it was episode after episode after episode and giving them to Tom, getting Tom's notes. um, And that was kind of the the process. And then once Apple came along, we had more episodes to write and directors came on board and you know, we went into pre-production and then it was a madhouse. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the production, the pre-production and the production, because the scale of this thing is just absolutely insane. I mean, how long was the shoot? It was 10 months. Um, and it, and I don't mean madhouse in a bad way. It was just there. It was so huge. There was so much. And, 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 my first seven scripts were never meant to be like the shooting perfect scripts. They, they, they were 
they were a process because we didn't we didn't have the same kind of book or the men. We needed a, a a thing to say this is the show and maybe we change this, maybe we change that. We all knew we were going to change things, and now that Apple was on board, it was time to change things and fix the things that you know we didn't go back and fix in, in the development process. So suddenly. We go from zero to 60 of, well, we got to fix this in this episode and fix that in that episode. And uh, we haven't written eight and nine yet. And it, it was just madness. And it's COVID, right? So we were shooting in 2021, the depths of COVID where I had to get a special, uh, you know, uh, visa to enter England. There was a point where they weren't letting Americans in. And then you had a 14-day uh, quarantine, you know. And then shooting, you know, we had a huge amount of people worked on this show every day. And they all had to get COVID tested every day. We had, I think, a couple of hundred COVID just dedicated. That was their job was covid cleaning the door handles, walking into your office a couple times a day, squeegeeing things, you know, doing the tests. So it was a really hard shoot just from the fact of COVID, you know, trying to get hundreds and hundreds of people to do their job under those circumstances. It was really hard. And the ambition never was tempered. We, 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 nobody said, thank goodness, nobody said, well, you know, COVID is going to make this complicated. Why don't we scale it down? You know, no, nobody said that. You know, it was just, okay, we've got COVID and we're still going to make the show we want to make. Well, that kind of leads me to another question. I was thinking about watching the show and thinking about how long you'd been working on it. I was just wondering how you keep your both your stamina up for 10 years working on this thing and to a certain degree, your objectivity about what's working and what's not when you've been living it with this stuff for so long. I don't know if I did keep my objectivity, you know, I mean, like in retrospect, I know I had conversations, creative conversations that in retrospect, I think I was wrong, you know, like, like, you know, we had some serious conversations about, should we do this? Should we do that? And I would, I would argue for this. And in retrospect, I'm glad I lost that argument, you know, um, because I had lost a little bit of my objectivity, you know. And also when I had started to write it, it was 10 years ago. The business has changed. The audience has changed. You know, the world we live in had changed. So the things that I thought might make the right show in 2013 when I was hired were not necessarily what was top of mind in 2021 when we were actually making it. So I had to be flexible too, you know. And also I'm curious how um, like just even digital technology has changed the way you make movies like this since Band of Brothers. I mean, I would assume it's, you know, a whole different ballgame. Whole different ball game. I mean, we do have digital stuff in in band. You know, the D Day episode, the the jump sequences are obviously digital, um, and I think uh, some of the other airplane in in air sequences, uh, the Holland drop is is also digital, um, and they're quite good for the time. They hold up pretty decently. Excuse me, um, but I think this is a whole another another level of of expertise and importance because 
what didn't change from my original um, idea of what the show should be is scale. Not just, you know, a cast of thousands, which we literally have, but, but I wanted to show the scale of the air war. People don't understand anymore what we did. We built 12,000 B-17s. 18,000 B-24s. It is unbelievable. We would have, by the end of the war, we would have a mission to bomb Berlin where you'd have 1,200 bombers and 500 fighters, you know, going to Berlin. And I thought that was really important. That's part of the story. In, in, in the early episodes, you'll see a maximum effort is only 40, 50 airplanes. And then by the end, it's, it's 1,200. And that in itself is a subtext story about the industrial might and the commitment of our entire society to fight this war. And so scale was always, always important. And you can't, there's only a couple of B-17s that exist. You know, people are going to knock us because we're not using real B-17s. Well, two problems there. There's only a couple that can fly and nobody's going to let us, you know, mess with them because they're too valuable. So we built three B-17 full-scale replicas, two of them that could, for out exteriors, they could, one of them could taxi, neither could fly. And then we built two fuselages for interior stuff, cockpit and all of that. And it was the only way you could do it. And we got an amazing visual effects team uh, led by um, Steve Rosenbaum. And I think it looks amazing. And one of the things that, that was really challenging for Stephen was, <laughs> as he said, you know, if, if, if you watch a draft, he, he did Avatar, he, he, the first Avatar. He couldn't do the last one because he was working for us. But he did the first Avatar. And he's like, nobody's going to say, hey, you know, the wing on that dragon doesn't look quite right. You know, no, it, because it's all fantasy. Here, everything's got to play and feel three-dimensional in a way that we recognize it as real because we know what a B-17 looks like when it flies. You know, and you'll see, if you, when you watch the show, you'll notice there's slight wing kind of go, wing wobbles that real B-17s do when they fly. You know, little, little things to give it that extra reality. But I don't want to give it away, but there's not one B-17 that flies in the show. Uh, well, that sort of speaks to part of what I think is great about the show, which is you have that sort of epic sweep. I mean, I love these shots you get later in the show where you do get a sense of just the incredible scale of these uh, these air fights. But then you've also it's really, really good at just bringing you into the head of the guy in the plane, the guy who's flying the plane. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you were trying to get across, what, what it was important for you to get across to the audience just about the visceral experience of being one of these guys. Because I thought that's what the show did brilliantly. It was really, really important. Because again, I think we all know what, what land, 
you know, infantry combat is like. We've seen it over and over and over. We haven't really seen what uh, these air bomber combat missions were really like. Memphis Bell is a great movie and it, it does a good job of it, but it's not quite as intense as it really was. And I love 12 O'Clock High, same thing. <coughs> Doesn't quite give you the intensity and the reality. And so the thing about, about being in a bomber is part of the deal is you can't deviate from your course. So it's a different thing like than being a fighter pilot where you get to shoot and dart all around and do whatever you want. When you're in a bomber, if you go by yourself, if you leave your formation, they just pick you off like that. The only way you stay alive is in formation, which means you don't leave formation, which means whatever they hit at you, you just take it. You just take it. You just take it. And if you're inside one of those planes, it is absolutely terrifying. There's, uh, you're 25,000 feet in the air. It's no, it's an unpressurized cabin, which means no oxygen. You have to have an oxygen mask. It also means it's 40 below zero. If you take your gloves off and you touch anything, they will freeze to that thing and you will have to rip them, your hands off. It is a horrible way to fight. And then you have people trying to kill you in the middle of all of this. Say you get wounded. Well, you're four hours from a medic. You know, if you're over Munster and you get hit, it's a very unique set of circumstances what these bomber boys went through. And I would argue that really nobody's seen it in any sense of reality since 1945. If you were there, you saw it. And until now, I don't think you've seen it. Well, it, you know, something else the show does really well with the with all the action sequences, you do a really nice job of striking this balance of clarity. Like you let the, the audience always knows where they know as much as they should know about where everything is in relation to each other, but you're also getting a, giving a sense of the chaos that's being felt. I mean, how tricky, how tricky is striking that balance? Everything, everything. We worked so hard on that. I mean, I, I will take a little credit on that. It started with the script. As, as I said before, um, the, the Air Force notated these battles so well. So when I wrote a battle sequence, I first wrote out the formation of the planes. I knew the actual formation of the planes. So I included that and I would literally say, okay, that, that plane to the right isn't just that plane to the right. I know who's in that plane. That's, you know, that's whoever's plane that got hit on engine number four. And I said, you know what? These are real guys who died on these missions. Let's at least try to keep it as accurate as we can. And that went through the whole process. The directors kept to that. The, the post-production in the early versions, you know, the planes would be color-coded so that the, everybody would know who was in whose plane. And it was a, a big dance of, okay, how do we cut from plane to plane so that the audience can track it and... You know, there's a real rhythm to it and a skill to it. And it goes to great directing and great editing and just good filmmaking. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, how challenging was the editorial process on this show? It was challenging. You know, it's a big, big show and with a lot of effects. And that was very complicated, getting it all to, to you know, harmonize. Uh, but I think one of Gary Getzman's greatest strengths, and he has many, but post-production. He is just a post-production god. And he just, I mean, we, we've been in post for two years nonstop. And uh, you know, I'm curious, you, know, you mentioned the visual effects supervisor. How difficult is it, or how do you, how do you and he keep control over all of this? You know, you look at the end credits for something like this, and it seems like there are thousands of people who worked on the visual effects. And how do you kind of keep it, um, I don't know, for lack of a better word, how do you make sure that like the vision of the piece remains consistent when there's you know, that many people working on it? That was literally his job, Stephen Rosenbaum, you know? I mean, he set, well, Stephen and Tom set a look that they knew the show to be, you know, what those, what, what those, ex, those, those effect shots should look like, like what's the texture of them and, and the flavor of them and the kind of angles and stuff. And then it was Stephen Rosenbaum's task to make that happen. And, and it was, he will tell you, it was one, I, I think he would say it's the hardest job he's ever had. You know, it, it really was. And I think everybody, pretty much everybody on this show would say, yeah, that was the hardest job I ever had. And hopefully one of the most rewarding, you know, we, we did it. You know, it was worth it. Well, now that you're through it uh, after 10 years, do you know what you're working on next? I don't actually. I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. It's, it's, it's I, I need a sigh. You know, I need a moment to just kind of take a breath and, and figure it all out. Well, it's a, it's a terrific show, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about it. So uh, thanks for doing this, John. You bet, Jim. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. 